Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning into our next installment of our Q&A. Um, today we're going to be tackling the questions from our last week of deconstruction, but any questions we have left over from the deconstruction series. Okay. So this is, this is kind of wild because this is like the end of the deconstruction of series. Deconstruction. Like this this fully marks the end of it. This does. This um, is the this is the exclamation point at the end of the last sentence in yeah. the book. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. My name is Josh. I'm the youth pastor. This is Dave. He is our lead pastor who put together the deconstruction booklet and did all the research for the sermons and is the one that's going to answer these questions. Um, and by put together, you mean I assembled some content? That's true. Our brilliant Steve Brubaker is the one that took all of that and made it look Amazing. Yes, yeah, Steve so, did make it look amazing. <laughs> the whole I remember the whole time the book was getting put together, you kept wanting to don't, change things. Don't bring up bad memories from <laughs> oh, the, the past. Best, the best story that Steve <laughs> told me. And so you went, you were, you went out of town, like for a few weeks right before the series started. Yeah, yeah. And Steve is sitting at our office back there, and it's me, Steve, and Perry. And Steve goes, "You want to hear what Dave just texted me?" <laughs> And we're like, sure. And it was something along the lines of, hey, I was looking over the booklet and I want to change this thing. And Steve's like, does he not know we already printed the book? I, I did not know. <laughs> so uh, I knew the deadline was like either approaching or very close. And I knew it was a long shot, but I thought I'm, I'm going to give it a chance. It was not a big deal, but anyway. That was one of the funniest things. I remember Steve going, Dave just has no idea that these no books idea. are already printed. Dave has no ideas. Pretty general rule. Yeah. So Dave, how do you uh, how do you feel that the series is coming to the clo- coming to its close right now yeah, at the end of this you know, Q and I am. Um, I suppose I have mixed emotions. Um, on the one hand, I'm very much looking forward to the holidays. And uh, looking forward to the to the themes of the holidays, the messages we're going to share, all because yep. it's a drastic change in tone, if you will. Uh, but then I always feel, and perhaps in this series more acutely than normal, just a, a, a sense of almost like loss. I wish mm. there was more time. I wish we could answer more questions. I wish we could cover things more deeply. There's my hope that this has made a difference in the way people think, the way people approach other yeah. people. Uh, so it's always a little bit hard to let go because I, I, I have such hope that these series will have a dramatic impact. And I always feel like ah, if I had a little bit more time, yeah. I could do a better job. For sure. And that's very normal for a lot of people to feel that way because a lot of this stuff is so personal. Yeah. to so many different people that it, a lot of people might be feeling that same, like, oh man, I wish on this specific topic we yeah. could go deeper. And yeah. we've kind of seen that through these questions that we've been answering and how people have been um, asking questions from the previous weeks. Yeah, I mean, some of them we did like a month and a half ago yeah. and people are still asking yeah. questions wow. about. So it shows yeah. that there are people that are still very still much like, man, I wish I we could go deeper on this. You know, we... I don't think, we, we collectively as a staff and leadership don't think that um, on, a, on a difficult, deeply emotional issue, you're going to hear one message and go, oh, change my mind. Yeah. It's, it's really a process of collecting information and then wrestling and struggling and praying and asking questions and researching. So, you know, we, we certainly respect that. Um, I, I'm also... I, and I do want to say this, I'm, I'm immensely proud of the way our church fellowship 
has conducted themselves as we've moved through this. Yeah. Uh, their, their capacity for a long time, we've been nine weeks. I mean, we had a break week for in the sure. middle, but, but we had eight solid weeks of like heavy duty, you know, deep intellectual discussion yeah. on emotional issues and their willingness to engage their willingness to have conversation mm. that was Christian in its love and its compassion yeah. and hearing what people had to say, the, the willingness of our congregation to move through this time the way they did just fills my heart with pride. We have amazing people here, yeah. and it's a blessing to be able to be associated with them and to serve God with them. Absolutely. I want to take this time to give a huge shout out to all of our group leaders who yes. led yes. a group through our deconstruction booklet. That was, I, I know for most of the leaders, I mean, even myself having a do this in youth group, there was a, there's a part of like, oh my gosh, like, what if I say something wrong? Am I going to get judged? Or are people going to kick me out? And the fact that we had I don't even know how many. We need to ask Perry how many different groups led this deconstruction book. It was like book. close to 20. Yeah, I think so. Was like there was a there. ton of groups mm -hmm. that, that went through this deconstruction book. But to every group leader um, or anybody that attended the group, just thank you so much yeah. for doing that. Um, this helps bring, as you were saying, brings the unity of our church together yeah. when we're all going through this and talking about these same topics um, within the same week, all at the same time. So, yeah. And, I, and I've, I, I know we have to get to questions eventually. Yeah. But I, I had several stories relayed to me this week by several different people regarding how they had individuals whose main change and shift this series was in recognizing their need to be far more compassionate and accepting mm. towards all people. Absolutely. People with whom they may not share values or perspectives or beliefs people who would be from a christian perspective would be broken and struggling and individuals that have changed their perspective and simply said i've been too judgmental i've kept myself at a distance and i need to love and accept people as they are for who they are so that as friends, we can have conversation that hopefully brings light in life. Those stories really have blessed me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're going to go ahead and hop into these great questions. Okay. Um, so, Dave, you know what the first question is? No, I yes, have you no do. idea what yes, is the do. first question. Yes, you do. <laughs> he knows. It would be a summary <laughs> question, would it, Josh? I think it might be. <laughs> so... We answered the question, does Christianity condone, is Christianity violent and judgmental? Yeah. The accusation that is often made is that in spite of all the talk about God being about peace and love, that God, particularly the God of the Old Testament, yeah. as though he were a different or separate God from the one and only true God, yep. but the God of Old Testament was always judging people in various ways and sometimes in violent ways and commanded his Old Testament people to do some violent things. And so a God like that is unworthy of acceptance. Yeah. A faith system that is violent and judgmental is unworthy of adhering to. So we attempted to address that by laying a philosophical foundation which in essence was that we all crave peace, but the peace rests on justice. 
Injustice always shatters peace. Judgment is restoring justice to people, cultures, the world, so that peace can return. So understanding these things are vitally important. If there is no judgment, there's no justice. If there's no justice, there's no peace. Yeah. Okay? Um, and then what we did is we looked at three, the three most often cited examples of violence and judgment in the Bible that are used by those who have deconstructed their faith and are attempting to persuade people to do the same and to move them that direction. And we, we took on each one head on, and they are hard passages yes. to read. Yes, they they have horrible things in them. But then we talked about, okay, through the lens of judgment as justice yeah. and God wanting to restore peace, how do we understand these events contextually and look at them through that lens to make sense sure. of it? And then we attempted to do that in all three of those passages. Yeah, absolutely. It was actually, I feel like I've said this on almost all the messages. It's actually one of my favorite ones. Oh, I love cool. I love the ending whenever we went through those those passages, even the smashing babies on the rocks one. That, that, that was, was very yeah, tough to listen that's to. That's a tough one. Um, but I really liked like the Canaanite genocide and how like that's one that I've heard so many times where people are like, yes. oh, well, God's telling get rid of them. It's like, well, no, actually, when you look at it, it's just within the promised land and there's still Canaanites after because God makes a law saying don't intermarry with them. But then also one of the things that we commonly forget is that God gave them 400 years yes. and, to, to repent and they didn't do it. That's right, because so. it wasn't about God wanting to ethnically cleanse an area by exterminating a race of people. Yeah. It was individuals whom God loved who were unspeakably evil. And we chronicled a little of that in the message. We gave a snapshot anyway. And, and yet God patiently pursued them for 400 years before going, the, 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 the window is now closed and judgment must happen so that peace or rest is the way the Bible often refers to it, can come back to the land. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So... The first question that we're going to dive into, we yeah. did talk about a little bit of a, on our post show. Um, okay. Whenever we talked about the fourth point with judgment, how exactly was it where judgment brings, what was it? Justice. Br justice. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought it was. Yep. Well, I was like over time, but that's, <laughs> I know that's one of our, yes. like our guiding principles and I'm mixing them all together <laughs> in my head. Um, but the first question is, what is the difference between bringing judgment and being judgmental yeah what a great question because man that is i make judgment judgmental yeah. we shouldn't yeah. judge we shouldn't be judgment all, all of that so that's a great question this is a beautiful opportunity to try to bring a little bit of clarity yeah the word judgment is one of those words that can mean different things depending on the context the word judgment as we use it actually if you think about it but certainly as it's contained in scripture can refer to one of three things, all right? Can mean one of, of three different things. One is um, it can refer to being discerning, as in like we all want to show good judgment, right? and it's the idea there of the capacity to accurately assess a given situation so that you can respond in a wise and healthy way. Yeah. We all want to be people of good judgment, right? Right. We all want to show good judgment. We want to raise up our kids to yeah. be of good, sound judgment, uh, like the scripture tells us to do. So that's one way in which we can use the word. 
A second way that the word judgment can be used is of being overly critical or of being harsh in making judgments. This is what we usually mean when we talk about being judgmental. Mm. This, Jesus said, you shouldn't do. Right. Uh, most famously, Matthew chapter 7, uh, Sermon on the Mount, he's in the last chapter, though I don't think he's spoken chapters, but the way we divide yep. it up. Um, he goes, judge not lest you be judged. Because the same, the same measure of judgment be used will be used against yeah. you. In other words, the way you're going to judge other people is going to be how you're going to be judged yourself. So, so don't do that. And, and in forbidding this kind of judgment, what we would call being judgmental, there's at least three things that are being forbidden. Um, one would be um, being uh, judging someone's motives. Because we don't know what motives are. We're always guessing. And if you judge a motive of why people do what they do, that's, that's being judgmental. Um, second, it means judging ignorantly. When you judge something, you know, right, wrong, that's wrong, without actually knowing the facts and the backstory, you're just being judgmental. Yeah. And that is absolutely forbidden. Um, so don't, don't judge motive, uh, don't judge ignorantly. And then also it's, it refers to just judging too harshly. Um, there can be, uh, I'll call it a minor crime, a minor infraction. And yet there are people who judge that as being a really big deal. And that's not right. Usually yeah. we're overly harsh in our judgment on things that for whatever reason, we just particularly don't like. Right. Okay. So we're overly critical in, in our judgment and we're too harsh on minor things. I think it's also at least implied that any kind of judgment you render that leads to a conclusion that a person is condemned. Mm -hmm. And by condemned, it means you're so guilty, you're beyond hope. That's always wrong. Josh, nobody, as long as they're sucking air into their lungs, yeah. is beyond hope. No one. And to condemn someone, to write them off as beyond hope, is absolutely forbidden. So we cannot be judgmental in those senses. Yeah. You can't judge a motive. You can't judge ignorantly without actually knowing what's going on. And you can't be too harsh in your judgment. And no matter what kind of judgment you render, you can never condemn a person, write them off as hopeful mm -hmm. because of it. That's being judgmental. Now, interestingly, judging people is something we're actually commanded to do. That's the wrong kind of judgment. Right. But passing a judgment on is something good or bad, right or wrong, sinful, righteous, is something that we absolutely must do. On two occasions in Matthew 7, same judgment chapter, um, Jesus made this statement. He said, by their fruit, you will know them. Here's what he's saying. When it comes to assessing the legitimacy of a teacher or leader, when it comes to assessing the, the genuineness of a person's conversion, don't simply listen to what they say, watch what they do. 
And by virtue of the of of what they say, by virtue of what they do, by virtue of what they talk, how they respond, we can judge the genuineness or the legitimacy of a teacher or leader. That is righteous judgment. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 7. He commanded us to judge with righteous judgment. Mm -hmm. And righteous judgment, this kind of goes to the first one being discerning. Righteous judgment is judgment that is based on the Bible, not my own preferences. It is based on a knowledge of the facts. And it's also done in love toward the person. Because any form of judgment we make that's divorced from love is an unrighteous act in and of itself. Yeah. So that's, that's the whole idea of, of judgment as being judgmental, okay? Um, a third way we use the term, right? We used it in, in, in terms of showing good discretion. We used it in terms of being overly harsh and critical, uh, judging ignorantly of other people. But a third way that we use it, and this is the way we were referring to it on Sunday, has to do with punishment for crime, right? Oftentimes it's like, oh, judgment day. Well, what do we mean? It's like, man, you're going to have to answer for the crimes that you yeah. did. Um, and so... What is the human role? And I see now why you talked about post-show because I think yep. this is what we touched on on post-show, which everybody should watch, by the yes, way. Yes, everyone should watch. Um, when it comes to punishing for crime, understanding it holistically, and then seeing our role inside of that, here's what we need to understand. Number one, God is the ultimate and final judge. And the day will come for us all me, you, everybody, in which we will be judged. And in that day, every wrong gets righted. Every right gets rewarded. I mean, in the end, perfect justice prevails. And God is the ultimate judge. He's the only one with the, with the right to judge in, the, in that sense. But what God has also done is he has delegated a measure of his judgment for crimes to restore justice. He has delegated that to three human institutions. And it doesn't look the same way in all three, but all three have the authority by God to do it. One is civil government. Romans 13 is one of those places that makes abundantly clear that God has charged civil government with the responsibility of punishing those who commit crimes right. against others. When injustice is done, God charges civil government with finding it out and levying a punishment yeah. in order to correct the behavior, in order to instill better behavior within citizenry, in order to vindicate and restore at least a measure of what is lost to yeah. the victim of the crime. So the civil government has been delegated with that responsibility by God. Second, the church now, this is in a different way, but it's still there. The church is commanded by God. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 of doing at least two things. Judging legal disputes between Christians so that rather than Christians dragging their internal problems before the world to a judge, bring it to the church and let the leaders of the church, the spiritual mature in the church, hear the case and render a judgment of right and wrong and what ought to be yeah. done. <clears throat> And also in 1 Corinthians 6, 
There's also judgment to be rendered by the church regarding gross immoral behavior amongst people who are participating members inside of a local congregation. And there's an example that actually is playing itself out there that you should read. It's, it's very instructive. <laughs> and the idea there is <clears throat> the spiritually mature, the leaders of the church, render a judgment and even pass a measure of discipline. Obviously, we don't throw people in jail, right? right? <clears throat> um, but pass a measure of discipline in order to correct the behavior that's damaging the perpetrator, but also to keep it from sending a bad signal in terms of righteous, pure living to everybody else inside the church and to promote peace inside the church. So the church has a role delegated by God also in measuring judgment on people inside the church when it comes to, to discipline matters and ensuring a righteous standard. And the third is the family. And this is the whole idea of, of disciplining our children, bringing up our children to be good, well, Christians, good citizens, right? Good human beings. Discipline is involved in that process. And so we punish our children for crimes out of love to correct an unhealthy behavior and instill a right sense of behavior that God willing trains them in a way that it carries into adulthood. Um, so whenever we talk about judgment, we mean one of those three things. And when it comes to judgment as punishment for crime, we then go God ultimate. He's delegated a measure of it civilly, um, ecclesiastically to the church and then in the family. So what's my role as an individual with injustice I see in the world? Do I take do I take matters into my own hands and bring justice? Yeah. And the answer is no. I don't have that authority. That's actually avenging, which is different than bringing justice. Um, so here's what we should do, because we're all greed by injustice that we see. Uh, one, pray. This is so fundamental, but so uber important. It's the most powerful thing we can do. Yeah. We sometimes offer those words tritely, and it, it's irritating. You know, pray, praying for you. Well, I hope you really are, because if you are, um, it's not the least you can do. It's the most you can do. Right. So pray that God will bring justice. Yeah. So often we don't know who's right, who's wrong, what's going on. God, will you just bring justice so we can pray? Second, we can plead. We can go to authorities that have a charge by God and plead with them for justice to be done, and we should take advantage of that one. Um, pleading to government officials for justice to be done in certain situations certainly is true. Um, then I, I think we can also um, we can help to rescue people who are the recipients of injustice. Yeah. And this could be anything from... Um, coming alongside people that are victims of crimes and helping them come back to health. It can be a matter of being involved in the traffic industry, sex trafficking, help rescue people from mm -hmm. that. So we can do things like that to help correct yeah, injustices sure. as well. Those are the only extent at which we can righteously, in the world, as individuals, be involved in correcting injustice that we see. Absolutely. Thank you for diving into that one. And again, you that's can go, a listen, good one. Yeah, you go that's listen to the post show. We talked about it a little bit more little if they're wanting there. to hear a little right. bit deeper, especially on the last part of the yes. that you talked yes. about. Um, let's go ahead and hop into the next question. Um, this is this is a little this is a fun one. I think you'll really like this oh, one, Dave. Okay. 
if God wants people to have peace, why does he allow evil to exist and ruin peace for everyone? Yeah. Common question phrased in different ways. Why yep. does a good God allow evil, right? I, I feel I should begin by saying this. Evil is a philosophical and emotional problem for everybody. Yep. Not just the Christian. Yep. I actually think it's a bigger problem for naturalists, atheists, people who believe that we're all the products of time and chance because there's no rationale for a concept of evil if there is not a morality instilled in the universe by a lawgiver, by a moral God. If we're all the products of time and chance and everything is random and we're just animals, then it's survival of the fittest. What happens, happens. Humans have no inherent significance. It's all about the species going on. So there are bigger philosophical problems for non-theists when it comes to evil than there are for Christians. So, but let's, let's, let's address, why does God allow evil to exist? Recognizing that there is such thing as evil. I, I find it fascinating, however, that we tend to reserve evil for the really, really bad things. Mm. We human beings, myself included, we're rankers. Yeah. You know, evil. Well, this is really evil, really kind of, sort of, pretty, not so much. And as everybody does, it's not that big of a deal. Right? So we rank things. Uh, while different evils, different sins, have different impacts on people, they're all evil. Every, yeah. every violation of God's standard is an evil act. So let's recognize that, that if we really want if we want God to act every time someone commits evil to disrupt peace, then he's going to be interrupting our lives all the time. <laughs> the Bible even says, if you know to do good and don't do it, it's sin. Just knowing I should have done something and not doing it, God would have to interact and yep. make some kind of corrective in my life. So that's, we need to see evil from God's perspective. If God were going to somehow go, I'm not going to allow evil to exist, which I think is the intent of the question, and then just ruin peace for everybody, which is what I want. It seems to me that there are one of two things that God would have to do. One, God would need to remove the person who did evil. Yep. Number two, God would have to remove our free will. That's the only way that can actually happen. If he removes people who do evil, there's none of us left, right? <laughs> so I guess we don't have a problem because there's no human race, right? Um, if he were to remove free will, then we would be loveless robots who only do what we are programmed to do. Yep. Those are the only two ways God could go, I will not allow evil to exist. Remove the evildoer or remove free will. Here's what God has chosen to do instead. God has chosen to have us be free will so we can choose, so we can love, okay? So we, 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 we have free will. God has chosen to instruct and encourage us in moral, righteous, good living. 
God then keeps a record of every evil every person ever commits. That's a little sobering. Okay, but I, every one, okay. And then third, God has chosen to render full and final justice in the end. So that, as I mentioned before, every wrong is righted, every right is rewarded, and that exists for all, all eternity. This is what God has chosen to do. So, how does God, okay, give us, he allows us to exercise free will. How does God instruct us in what we ought to do? Um, he, he gives us an innate sense of right and wrong. We call that our conscience. His spirit also deals with every person convicting them about what is right and what is wrong and also get when they are wrong. Um, and then God has also given us his word. But even apart from his word, we have an internal sense of what we should and shouldn't do. I love something that Francis Schaeffer, who's like a mentor of mine, I never met the man, but I've, I've read his books, he had a profound yeah. influence on my, on my thinking and understanding. And he said, if God were to hang a tape recorder around our necks, that shows how, how long ago he wrote. <laughs> if he were to hang a tape recorder around our neck and it only recorded every judgment we made of everybody, all other people. And then on judgment day, only judged us based on our judgments. We're toast. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> We're toast. toast. So we all have this internal sense of, of what is right. So that's how God guides us in that way. And then God records every single evil thing any human being does. So there's a record that is always being kept that is going to have to be accounted for somehow and in some way. What God does is he grants people who commit evil things time to repent and come to him. Yeah. This, this is the one part about this equation that doesn't make sense. It is God looking at people who commit evil, like me, because remember, it's everybody. Yep. He, God looks at people who commit evil, who do damage, that harm others, to disrupt peace, and goes, I want to be patient and merciful and give them time to repent. Now, God uses that time. He doesn't leave us on our own. He does things to pursue us and win us. We'll, we'll talk about those probably later on. So God is doing these things. Um, because he is not, as we're told in the book of Second Peter, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yeah. And that God allows people to commit evil and do damage because he's giving them time to come to their senses, repent, and find eternal forgiveness and life in him is an amazing thing about God. But that window closes at some point in yeah. time. Now, sometimes it closes in this life. And what I bet is God brings punishment for crime in this life. Yep. It happens. Not every bad thing that happens, in fact, maybe even most bad things that happen, aren't God punishing people for something. Yeah. However, the scripture is clear. There are times that God brings judgment for sin in this world. Corrective behavior. Again, help people come to himself. Sometimes, however, it's even ending a person's life because of what they've done. So the window can close in this life, but we're all going to die. Yep. 
And Hebrews tells us that um, that we're all, it, it's appointed to every one of us to die, and after die, after we die, judgment. And we will give an account for all that we have done, yeah. and then God will render justice. So this is what God has chosen to do. Give you free will so that you can love and be a human being, not a robot. Um, not remove everybody that commits evil, because then there would be no people. But keep free will. Let me guide you in the right ways. If you resist and do evil... I will convict, but I also give you time to repent that you might come to me. But that window does eventually close and everything will be answered for. Yeah. This is what God, this is what God has chosen to do to both retain free will, um, but also to ensure that that justice is done. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for diving into that one. Yeah, that is definitely a, like, as you said at the very beginning, that's a question that gets asked in many different ways it is. by many different people. So if anybody has this question, you're not wrong for having this question. Oh my by goodness. Any means. No, that's a normal, yeah, very normal people question. Ask this question. Yes, absolutely. All the time. Absolutely. They ask you all the time. All right. So this next question, um, Somebody asked it, and typically what we do for really long questions is we'll put the whole thing on the screen, and then we'll break it down, break it down? but sometimes okay. it fills up the whole screen. So what we did with this one, so okay. whoever's watching, we kind of took this very long question, and we broke it up into three questions, so there's going to be three different slides with those questions. Okay, so, cool. And if you were the person that asked this, and you're like, yeah, you didn't get exactly what I was looking for. Just let us know. Submit a question Always. again. Even if this wasn't like any question that we ever tackle, if it's not exactly what you were asking, just let us know because we do the best we can. That is the one downside of it being anonymous is we can't follow up and go, yep. is this what you meant with this? But So we try our best. So if we ever we don't get it. We try to show good judgment yeah. and assertion what it is that they're we asking, try. but we don't always hit yep. the mark. So if, if we ever don't tackle it the way that you were like, oh, I was actually meaning it this way. Just let us know. So you guys are awesome. All right, let's go ahead and dive into this. First one says, does God know who will or who will not eventually come to believe in Jesus? And then also form a relationship of faith with him. If so, why does he allow those he knows won't be saved to live and cause such horrific harm, pain, agony, torture, etc.? So this last question we Ooh. just went through tackles a little bit of this. It does. Yes, so, yes there's definitely overlap. So... Yeah, and there's if this is only the first of three parts, there's a lot in part one. I know, <laughs> so, there's a lot. <laughs> um, does God know who will or will not eventually come to believe in Jesus and form a relationship faith with him? Well, of course, because God knows everything. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> God is not bound by time. It's impossible for us, for us to conceive non-time. We, we can't conceive non-time. Yeah. But God is outside of time. Right. So for God, it's not like, does God know the future? Well, God's as much in the future as in the past as in today. It's like, so God, that's why God knows everything, yeah. okay? So of course he does. I've got to say this. There is a huge difference between God knowing who will come to faith in him and who will not, and God deciding mm. who will come to faith in him yeah. and who will not. There is a theology um, that God chooses who will and who will not be saved. Yeah. Um, and we do not ascribe to that theology um, for numerous reasons that I won't go into right now. However, 
human choice is real. Yeah. And God holds us accountable for the choices that we make. Right. That's what the whole idea of justice is predicated upon. So um, while God knows who will and who won't, God doesn't decide who will and who will not. And that's a very important for us to understand. So um, the questioner then goes on to say, um, if so, if God does know, and he does know, why does he allow those he knows, and I'm going to assume with the parentheses, we're, we're guessing those won't be saved to live in caught. In other words, he knows they won't be saved, and yet they're, and these horrific things are happening. Uh, I think we answered that question in the previous one. Um, God allows evil to be done for certain reasons. There's always a point behind it. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, he's got, he's got a purpose in the pain. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we know, I'm, I was actually the one that gave this message. Oh, and at the movie series, this guy's not going to waste the suffering of people. That's correct. He's not going to. And we see that in the story of Lazarus, when he goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. Like, he did not waste... Anybody in that story is suffering, and he used it for his good and for his glory. Yep, that's and we correct. do know that one day, whenever we put our hope and our life in Jesus, that we're going to go somewhere where there is no horrific harm, pain, agony, torture, and etc. So we have that's something correct, always yeah. to look forward to. So, all right, well, let's go ahead and go into the next part of this question. Why do innocent babies, young children, cognitive, cognitively impaired people, and the like have to endure such suffering? I'm also referring to this week's sermon regarding the offspring of horrific rulers' babies who are born only to be treated horrifically and die in such horrific yeah, yeah, okay. ways. So, so they're yeah. talking about the babies getting smashed on rocks. Yeah, that, that which is very really, sad. really difficult passage of Scripture. Um, when it comes to innocent people suffering and babies are innocent. So the, yep. it's a correct use of the term here, right? Um, no age accountability, no capacity to make choice. Also the, the, yep. the, the, um, intellectually impaired. Um, what, what sense can we possibly make of innocence suffering? Uh, to me, Josh, the only way that I can make sense of it is to look to the cross of Jesus. Mm. Because on the cross, innocence itself suffered horrifically. Yeah. Jesus, not just the only person to never sin, but Jesus who was the embodiment of grace and mercy and love, yeah. right? He, every word, every act, grace, mercy, love toward human beings was tortured and suffered horrendously on the cross. And there are things that we can learn from that to help us make sense of any innocent individual suffering. And the two big takeaways that I that I, I would draw from this happening is that number one, there's always purpose in suffering. Yeah. Redemptive purpose. Right? When Jesus is suffering on the cross as an innocent, God is using that suffering to affect the redemption of humankind. 
there is a sense in which when an innocent suffers, God uses the suffering of the innocent to so impact people who are aware, who see, who hear, that it becomes a catalyst to help them find redemption. I think of the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen was one of the first deacons of the church. Yep. He was a loving man, caring man, helped the poor. I mean, he was just quite, quite the guy. And he is taken and put in front of a bunch of people and asked some questions. And he begins to answer the questions very honestly. Yep. And in his honest answering of questions, he's explaining who Jesus is, why he died, that he came back from the dead, and that it was the sins of people that caused this to happen, and we're all responsible. Big, long sermon, uh, really, really convicting, but, but, but true. Well, the crowd gets so mad that they drag him outside the city, and they decide they're going to stone him to death. There happens to be someone stirring and inciting this whole crowd whose name was Saul. And he was a Pharisee who um, had the authority to go to different towns and to persecute Christians uh, who were regarded as being evil, blasphemous people, perverting individuals from the way of truth. Yeah. And, um, and what Saul did is not only stirred up the crowd, but Saul also was assenting to Stephen's death, um, took care of everybody's clothes, watched their stuff while they went and, and killed him. And then we find a couple chapters later that uh, Saul is heading to Damascus to do a repeat performance of what right. he did in Jerusalem with Stephen. And he's confronted by Jesus. And Jesus says the words, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, it's hard for you to live under such intense conviction, isn't it? Well, what intense conviction was it that he was under? When we piece the Bible story together, he watched Stephen suffer as an innocent. He didn't do anything to deserve being stoned. And yet he said, just like Jesus on the cross, Lord, don't lay this into their charge. And then he looked up into heaven and I see, I, I, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the father. And he watched this person suffer righteously and watching an innocent suffer is what convinced him to, that he was guilty and needed salvation. Same thing that, 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 that Jesus accomplished on the cross when the thief looked at him. The thief just, the thief who at one, one point was mocking him, who then came to believe in him, came to believe only because he watched an innocent suffer. Yeah. So whenever there is an innocent that suffers, God is using that redemptively to reach people. Yeah. Second, there's always joy on the other side of suffering. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, After an innocent suffers, what awaits them is eternal joy. A part of God bringing justice is taking absolutely every, every ounce of suffering and turning that into an eternal source of joy, always. So let's not think it's pointless and that when an innocent suffers and dies, it's the end. Yeah. 
There's always a point. There's not an end. Justice to be done. Everlasting comfort. And comfort doesn't just mean there, there, it's okay. It means the kind of joy and peace and goodness of life that makes the suffering worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Next question. When does God decide when each individual child will only perpetuate their parents' beliefs and or actions or break loose from what they have been taught and come to believe in Jesus. I'm referring to the babies or young children who died horrifically without Jesus because of who and how they were raised. Almost kind of like an age of accountability question. Yeah, that is definitely in in here and with some other really profound concepts. Yes, you're right. First, when does God decide when each of your child will only perpetuate? He, he, he doesn't. He, he knows. Yeah. I mean, God just all, always knows, right? So he, he know, that ties in with the question, does God know who and who will not end up coming to faith? Um, however, the idea of will they break loose from what they've been taught and believe in Jesus or will they not? And then referring to babies or young children who die horrifically without Jesus because of who or how they were raised. Um, maybe this will be most helpful. No one is ever separated from God eternally because of who raised them or how they were raised. Mm. Ever. Yeah. That would be unjust. Yeah. As a reminder that once someone comes to the age of accountability, which means they now have the capacity to understand guilt and redemption they have the capacity to choose right right pre that point they're in the presence of jesus a reminder and we talked about this at some point in the recent past it might have been last week i don't remember that god pursues every human being on the face of the earth 24 7 yeah always no one is ever left to be a prisoner of who raised them and what they taught them when they were growing up ever as as a as a, as a refresher god the father is in pursuit of every person through creation he reveals his existence and his power yeah through conscience that he gives to every person, he reveals a morality, a moral code, our need to follow it, and our guilt for not doing it. So he is always working in that way. Yeah. The Holy Spirit, Jesus told us in John chapter 16, is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. So the Holy Spirit is also active, working in every heart to convict them of their guilt to convince them of who Jesus is and their need for redemption and salvation of some sort. And Jesus said in John 12, 32, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Mm. Jesus is constantly drawing every single human being to himself. So I've got every member of the Trinity working every single day to draw every single person to faith in himself. And then Jesus gave us this promise. He said um, in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 7, he said, ask and it's given to you, seek and you find, knock and the door is open. And what we gather from that, in part at least, 
is that anybody who's responding to God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and the work and enlightening and drawing and convicting and all these kinds, if you respond and want to move toward God, God will answer that. He will help you in your seeking. He will help you in your questioning. And he will provide someone, even if it's an angelic being, right. he will provide someone to share the gospel so you can believe yeah. on Jesus and be saved. And I think we accounted stories of how that yeah. happens in, in people's lives in, in, in various contexts. So no one ever is separated God for eternally because it was the home I brought up in. I was told I didn't know any different. I never had a chance. Yep. That is not the way God works. God cares too deeply. Yes, he and does. And so intervenes in every person's life. Yes, he does. Absolutely. Everybody that asked a question based on this past Sunday's message, thank you so much for doing that. We're going to go ahead. We have two more questions that our, or that are a part of the last few messages that we have done that we're going to okay. go back and All we're right. going to tackle right here. So the first one says, I am still struggling with guilt over a past abortion. You talked about when my feelings don't align with the forgiveness from our, from our father in heaven. Do you think that's because I haven't forgiven myself that I'm not letting God in or I'm not letting God in to forgive? Yeah. yeah. This is a, this is man. Makes I, my heart hurt. I know. And who, whoever, whoever our questioner is, um, I, I pray that you will experience the forgiveness that God has given you, that you'll experience it. Um, the notion of, I don't feel forgiven, am I not letting God in to forgive me? Um, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, um, God's already in. Yeah. It's already not a matter of letting God in. He is already in. Yeah. And the fact that you want to get and experience his forgiveness is a sign that you're not living your life in defiance of God. Mm. You're, you're not in rebellion. You're not hard. You want things to be right. So your problem is, is not like you're in rebellion or you're not surrendered enough or any of that. God is in you and you want the right thing. So let's, so please know that that's, uh, that's critically important. Sure. There's, I'm going to see if I can approach this a different way than when we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, there is a difference between the fact of forgiveness and the emotional experience of forgiveness. And this is what I believe our, the, the questioner is asking. The fact of forgiveness happens instantly and completely if we confess our sin. Right. He is faithful. He always do it. And just, he's righteous in doing it because of the sacrifice of Jesus. He's faithful to just forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all, every unrighteousness. And the moment you confess that sin, it's like, it's done. That's a fact. But while the fact of forgiveness happens instantly, completely, the emotional experience of being forgiven happens gradually over time. Remember that 
Forgiveness is not amnesia. Yeah. God doesn't have amnesia. Right. He just says, I'm making you a promise. I will, I will never use that sin against you ever. And we don't get amnesia, right? The old, you know, just forgive and forget. Ugh. I wish there was a forgetter switch in my brain, Josh, because yes. I would flip it, believe me, about some matters in my life to be sure. Um, but there's not. So you're going to have memories that are going to make you feel sad because they're sad memories. Right. If we are processing our forgiveness in a healthy way, over time, the intensity and frequency of those memories diminishes. Uh, they probably never go away, but the intensity and frequency diminishes. That's the sign that we're processing things well. Right. The notion of forgiving myself, I know what we mean when we say that, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight against that. Yeah. But to be more precise, what we mean when we say that is, I, I haven't accepted the forgiveness that God has given me. I think that's what we actually, that's a more precise way of saying I haven't forgiven myself, that I am not embracing and living out the fact that I am forgiven. Yeah. It is only in embracing and living out the fact that I can experience the emotional benefits of forgiveness. So here would be my suggestion, some counsel from scripture on what we could do moving forward so that you can get to that place where you emotionally experience a forgiveness. The first thing I'd say is um, tell, your, tell, tell yourself the truth. Mm. Memorize scripture that reminds you of the fact that you are forgiven. First John 1, 9, we just referenced it. Hebrews 8 and verse 12 about how our sins and our iniquities are remembered no more. Yeah. God never brings them to mind. They're as good as gone in God's yeah. mind. Satan is a liar. He's a liar. And he wants to bring up the past and lie to you about it in order to stymie your spiritual growth and in an effort to destroy your life and your service to God. So combat any lies by reminding yourself of the truth every single day. This is a part of renewing our minds, yeah. right? Bring our minds back in the line of thinking God's thoughts, thinking like God thinks. So that, that would be the first thing I would say. Second, I would say it would be very helpful if you would live like a forgiven person. Now, this isn't pretending. Yeah. This is going, even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to act as though what God said is true. <laughs> a lot of people think, if I don't feel it, I'm being a hypocrite. Mm. There is no form of honest obedience that is hypocrisy. I acknowledge I don't feel it, but I know God said it's true, so I'm going to act accordingly. Yeah. Because here's what happens. When you act accordingly, you build new memories that have positive emotions attached to it, and they begin to increase and dominate your life right. more than the negative. So that becomes important. And then here's one that, to me, is indicative 
of real health. This is this is turning this is turning sin and evil on its head and bringing good out of it. Take the point of your pain and use it as a catalyst to serve God in the area of your pain. So when you um, support crisis pregnancy centers, when you help in the adoption process, and I mean like helping other people adopt, supporting adoptive families, yeah. financially helping them because it's an incredibly expensive process. Mm -hmm. uh, when you do that, uh, when you serve pregnant women by volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center, when yeah. there are people you know of who have a crisis pregnancy and you walk alongside them, because this area matters to you, when you take that very point of pain and saying, I'm going to serve Jesus in this area of my pain, you have utterly upended every one of Satan's designs for it and yeah. you're using it for a righteous purpose and you create positive memories. Now you're saving pre-born human persons. Yeah. That would be a powerful way of getting to the place where you experience emotionally what is true in reality. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great answer. One of the things I want to add to it that you did touch on a little bit, um, but I feel like is, is definitely probably happening in this situation along with mm -hmm. there's probably a lot of other people that are experiencing this too, I, are, sure. are in this place of, okay, I don't feel forgiven because one of those reasons can be those accusations that Satan That's is right. throwing at us can be so loud. Um, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible is found in the book of Zechariah. In chapter 3. So Zechariah is having this vision right at the beginning of chapter 3. And he sees a courtroom. And in this courtroom, there's a priest named Joshua who's wearing the sackcloth, disgusting clothes. And the accuser, Satan, walks into the courtroom to accuse him of all of these crimes, of all of these yeah. wrongdoings. Well, before the accuser, Satan can even start listing the crimes. The judge, God, tells him, get out. Basically tells them to get out. Like, I'm not listening to it. Forgiving this person. We're moving on. And I think for 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 me, mm -hmm. I look at that and I go, man, like it, I am a visual learner. That's why I loved your your illustration, the physical illustration mm -hmm. that you mm -hmm. would because it helps me to visualize it. Yeah. And, and that story of that vision for me is like, man, those accusations that the devil throws at me. Yeah. When it goes into the presence of God, God tells him to get out before he can even start listing that's the accusations. Great, no, that's a great story to share, Josh. That's so on point in this one. Um, and hear the words of your judge. Yeah. Because he's going, no condemnation. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. That's very good. So I encourage everybody to read it. It's Zechariah chapter 3, right at the beginning. I'm not sure how many verses it is. It is but There's it's, a bunch of visions in Zechariah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Some of them are kind of weird. Yeah, I remember reading the book of Zechariah the first time, and I'm like, huh, this is weird. And then that vision popped up, and I remember like having to stop and go, wait a second. I feel like that was something really important. I, I had to read it again. and I'll, like, It's also really cool. I mean, Zechariah foretells a lot of... Jesus and all that kind he of does. stuff. But it's like, this is literally just another prophecy of the coming Messiah. Yep. Yep. So it's really cool. Um, thank you for answering that question. Here's our last one. How does the church feel about palliative care and hospice care? Are we to let people suffer if they have a disease and do not know who anyone is and cannot speak for themselves as mentally and physically they can't? 
When do they stop letting man keep someone alive and leave it to God? Yeah. Okay. Great question. It's like an ethics question. Great. It is. It is. It is an ethics <laughs> yeah. question. That's exactly right. Uh, a biblical ethics yeah. question. Uh, I, I can sympathize with this question because I went through this issue with both of my parents. My mom was in a hospice care facility hmm. for about three or four weeks uh, before she passed away. Uh, my dad was in hospice care at home. And the last two and a half weeks of his life, I was there right to the very end. Um, so I, I, I feel, yeah. I feel this question. It brings back all of those memories of being in that moment. Palliative care, just so that everybody understands, um, this is when you treat a symptom like pain, but not as underlying cause. Palliative care is the kind of thing when a, a, a person is considered terminal, Nothing can be done to cure or remedy the problem. And all we're trying to do is manage pain and suffering until the end comes. Yeah. Okay. So that's what's referred to um, uh, in that. Um, and if a person hasn't given an end of life directive, because many people do have an end yeah. of life directive of some sort of here's what I want and, and that sort of a thing, which is a nice thing to have because it gives family guidance if they get in that situation of what to do and what to not to do. Um, uh, but even in that case, there's going to be some judgment calls. Without it, there's absolutely judgment calls to make. I'm going to, I'm going to offer some um, biblically-based counsel of things to consider in this terminal end-of-life pain management situation for someone who is not going to recover and cannot speak for themselves. The first is that we should render reasonable medical care to everyone. Now, notice I use the word reasonable, that's a judgment call. And, and what I mean by that is the fact that you can take an extreme measure to prolong a life doesn't mean you must take an extreme measure to prolong a life. Yeah. Death is inevitable. We want to pro, you know, push it off as far as we can. But when you're in this sort of situation and it is near and inevitable, it is not unchristian to not go to extreme measures to squeeze a little bit more of life out of an individual. Yeah. Give reasonable medical care. I mean, to not give reasonable medical care is a little bit like the, 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 the priests who walked by the Good Samaritan laying bloodied and said, I'm going to do nothing, right? Yeah. So we give medical care, but the extreme measures aren't required. Second, I would say give God time to work. Take time to pray about your decisions. Mm. Now, I fully understand that context determines time. In some cases, time is minutes. Yeah. In some cases, time is hours. In other cases, it might be days or weeks. 
So it's contextually determined. But take a moment and consult God on what should I do. I mean, it's because the time is so emotional and we feel such pressure to make a, a decision where it's just like, no matter what I do, I hate the outcome. I, I hate whatever I'm going to choose. Calm your heart for a minute and, and go to God. And yeah. God will give you direction. God can move your heart. God can intervene on the behalf of someone who's deemed medically incurable and can restore life. I've seen it happen. But so give God a moment to do that, all right? right? In however that fits given the situation. Um, and then when it comes to managing their pain, I'd say it's pretty Christian to alleviate somebody's suffering. And so to manage medication to the place that we can have reasonable assurance that the individual cannot speak is not suffering is a Christian thing to do. Yeah. So the, that would be my basic count. Those were the basic yeah. guidelines I followed in care for both of my parents right. is to go, um, we're going to give reasonable medical care, but we don't feel compelled to do extreme ones. Um, we're going to pray and ask God for his intervention and also for his direction. And we're going to do the Christian thing of managing care so that people aren't unnecessarily suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Great question. Is really I feel like question. all the questions we had today were great questions. Absolutely. There's no dumb questions. There aren't any. There's no dumb questions. We'll take all the questions. Well, well, better about the Q&A. I know Layla keeps making jokes that she's going to submit uh, Charlie's math homework. Under these, um, I just want to, Layla, if you're watching, I just want you to know, if you submit Charlie's math homework, it's probably going to be wrong. <laughs> not probably, Josh. Well, yeah. I mean, she, Charlie is still in like fourth or fifth grade, so we at least got a okay, shot. there's a shot. We got a shot with some shot. of it, um, but with other stuff, like if we're having to do fractions, I was always really bad at fractions. So. I, I can actually do fractions, even yeah. I have to kind of think about her for yeah. a while. Uh, but as soon as you start um, adding and subtracting and multiplying, dividing letters as opposed to numbers, then I'm, I, I, it gets a little murky for me. Yeah, yep. So I ju we just asked you to stick with the biblical questions. <laughs> Those are the ones that we can answer really well. Um, uh, as always, though, thank you guys so much for submitting your questions. Uh, this is not possible. Um, if you guys didn't submit questions, now I know we've touched on it a little bit. We're going to touch on it again one more time right here. Um, this is the last week of deconstruction, but that doesn't mean this is the last Q&A we're ever going to do. Mm -hmm. In fact, our plan is to do a Q&A every single week, but to do it topically. So to take a topic, and maybe that topic's evolution, we'll do a whole Q&A on the topic of evolution. So if you still have questions about the Bible, whatever you're reading through it or through any of the messages that we still do here, we want you to submit those questions to my3c.org and go to submit a question tab. It's still going to be anonymous because we still want to be able to put these out there for the questions that you guys have. So if you're in a small group, if you're in your quiet time, if you're listening to any sort of message, go ahead ask the question. We're eventually going to tackle it in whatever topic we're covering that Wednesday night. So I really, really encourage you to do that. 
And deconstruction questions can still come. Exactly. Absolutely. Deconstruction questions so can still come, and we will still tackle those too. So we just encourage you to continue to ask your questions. Now, I do want to give a little teaser about this Sunday, just a tiny little one. Please do. We have some very exciting news that we're sharing this we Sunday. We just might have some. Some very exciting news. So if you're coming in person, make sure that you are here. When worship starts, so you don't miss the announcement, because it is an awesome one. I really don't want people to announce it. If you're watching online, just make sure you tune in at the start of our live stream so you don't miss that. It's super exciting, um, and we're just going to leave them that teaser. That's all yeah, we're going to okay, tell that them. Sounds that's, good. All, that's all we're telling them. And we've got a couple of other special things in the service that I think people yes. really want to connect to. Yeah. It'll be, it'll, it's going to be a beautiful yeah. Sunday. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. So. We hope to see you all then. Just a reminder, we do have uh, in-person services at 820, 940, and 11 o'clock. And we live stream our 940 service, which actually starts at 925 because we do our pre-show, which is a great way to stay connected with everything that's happening yes. here at Connections Community Church. And then directly following that, we're going to have the post-show, which is going to be a little weird, Dave, because you're not going to be in there for the post-show this week. Well what if I just show up anyway? Oh, that's right. Didn't you said on the post show you were going to do my job I on did, the post I show? I just may show up anyway. Well, I, might not, I might not. I might not be in the post show on Sunday. Dave might be the one running. I'll the just post sit show. right here on the floor. <laughs> sit right there on the floor. It doesn't have a microphone. <laughs> so, uh, but we hope you guys all join us for Sunday. Uh, thank you guys so much for watching it, yeah. uh, watching us, and answering uh, your questions. I hope that you guys have a great rest of your day, and we can't wait to see you again soon.